This is Don't Curb Your Enthusiasm, guys. Welcome. Are we Welcome to Don't Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yay. Today we're sponsored by Clarins Men Paris. Uh, fluid, <laughs> fluid, super hydrating, super moisture lotion. What SPF else did you 20. get in the sample box? Was that it? No, we're talking about <laughs> sample box. They sponsored us. Okay. They sponsored us. And so did um, TFL as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. And don't forget, <laughs> don't ever forget water as well, yeah. Uh-huh. Today I've got a big problem with corporate bandwagoners. Mm. I think they should just fuck off. Wow, what's that? Yeah, so, statement, yeah. Wow, straight Why in. Why are you using that kind of language? Um, I, I, well, I wanted to devise a scenario. I think we'll probably have to bring out a laptop and like read one out. Mm-hmm. I might have to borrow that. Or maybe you could just pull up the one that I'm going to speak about, which you know. Um, but I have a real problem now with a whole host of companies. Wait, wait, wait. Who are you, by the way? Yeah, to be, yeah, to be having opinions. You were like, basically, I fucking have a problem with corporate power wagoning. You guys should know, you, you should know me from last episode and the one before that. Oh, oh, yeah. I know. No, I to the left of you, more importantly. I hear that. Yeah. yeah. Should we do some We don't care about him. Yeah. Yeah. He's cancelled. Yeah. Yeah. He's cancelled from the last episode. He's cancelled. Yeah. Um, but who do we have to the left of you, Kyle? So it's the Armenian president. Um, <laughs> Do you want to introduce yourself? Hi guys, I'm Bettina. Um, I'm interning at Word on the Curb and I'm happy to be here. Woo! We're happy to have you. And before you were interning with us, because you were you grew up in a gang, didn't you? Definitely. And we took you from that gang and Yeah, you rescued yeah. me. <laughs> she read some really great advice on a chicken box. And, and that's uh, what we do. Yeah. <laughs> I just found my way here. Yeah, how long have you been knife free for? <laughs> no, she's just getting out. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, in all seriousness, we we we're humouring that because we did humour it and we'll get onto it. But yeah. There are a whole host, whole host of organizations, companies, um, conglomerates. Are you laughing at a me? Whole my pronouns. Whole host. So Hyle was actually <laughs> born in Ghana. Yeah. <laughs> and I found him yeah. on the street. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know that cannot make, cannot make the final edit. <laughs> it can't make the final edit. It can't make the cut. There are a multiplicity. You'll get cancelled. There are a multiplicity. Sorry, sorry, sorry. So we're laughing because obviously it's slightly humorous what we've just done there with Bettina, but there are a multiplicity of. <laughs> a multitude, a whole host. <laughs> there are loads of different organizations, companies, um, you know, conglomerates who, as a result of cultural trends, mm. are leveraging those trends for their own gain. Okay, They're is that what you mean by bandwagon? Yeah, that's what I mean by bandwagon. Okay. So when I say corporate bandwagoners need to piss off, mm-hmm. do you know what? Piss off scenes sounds more rude. Well, then, piss fuck off, off. then fuck off. Don't I think, think fuck off's got a good nah, ring fuck, to it. Fuck really? off is a little bit more, a bit more sophisticated. Nah, piss off's just like just yeah. sounds very British. It is, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Bog, bog off. Yeah. But I think they should, and I think there's there's a real issue around that, around the um, yeah, the leveraging and onboarding of issues that are of real concern to communities, to individuals, mm-hmm. and um, using that really for commercial um, exploitation. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're seeing it every day now, like everywhere I turn, you're seeing a new advert, which involves the usage of some sort of issue that's relevant to yeah. 
a community that they have never historically spoken to or with. No. But do you not think, you know, as marketeers, when you hear about the fact that brands need to be or have affinity with their audience and they need to speak to them and have a voice, mm-hmm. where do you draw the fine line then between having a voice and speaking about what people care about? Mm-hmm and then being appropriators of that culture. All right, well, okay, let me use the example that is someone that we all know because we were all part of this campaign. Um, Very recently, um, as an extension of this knife-free campaign that the Home Office were engaging, um, so they've been doing this knife-free campaign for a couple of years now, I think, which is um, an opportunity for them to engage with communities who are um, disaffected and disproportionately affected by issues related to knife violence or serious youth violence, particularly this term knife crime that we use. Um, They've been basically putting out positive messaging around the country, whether that's on um, big posters or Mm, boards or billboards and so on and so Mm. forth, saying, hey, I'm 15, meet 15 year old Alex. He was in a gang just as you were. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was in a gang um, and uh, for a whole host of reasons. <laughs> this, this whole whole thing is terrible. <laughs> for, for loads of different reasons, he was in a gang. Um, but as of the 13th of December, 2014, he has been knife free. He doesn't carry a knife anymore. He isn't potentially, you know, pot- potentially an aggressor to anybody or potentially a victim of violent crime. Right. And then they extended that campaign very recently and put them in, you know, hundreds of chicken shops around the country, but not just in chicken shops. They put them, they put these uh, kind of sentiments in chicken boxes, yeah. right? In the actual boxes. Yeah. And there was, a, there was massive pushback on that because there is obviously a relationship um, based on a lot of historical ideas related to people from particular minority backgrounds. Well, it's reduct. I think the important thing is it's a reductive expression of urban black inner city experience, which has got a long history, but kind of doesn't really speak to a nuanced understanding of those communities in any particular way. But but my contention with it isn't solely on the basis of the fact that it's insidious in terms of being racially inflammatory and... Um, pandering to antiquated ideas about blackness or people from minority ethnic communities, but that somebody along the way thought it was cool because there is kind of now a heightened, um, I guess, appreciation of urban lifestyle Mm. that we're seeing. There's like a massive, like, there's been an almost volcanic eruption of street culture, urban culture being accepted into the mainstream. We're seeing it with music, we're seeing it with art. There is now kind of like a real blending of these historically hidden communities now being like given like a far greater platform. And there is that historical connection between those communities and chicken shops. It's kind of where, you know, like boss man lives, you know, like even when Nike did that, um, campaign the Londoner campaign it started in a chicken shop with gigs and this whole idea of Morley's like being the South London like go-to place where all the kids hang out 
And that's where all the cool conversations happen. That's where the fights start. That's where the gossip. Do you think there's any truth? There's any truth to the fact that um, a lot of kids and people that carry knives might attend, might go to be more likely to be in a chicken shop? Because I think... The, what the real uh, question is, is like, okay, even if it is slightly stereotypical, I think the problem is who's doing it. Because if the community in a certain area had come together and said, look, here's a problem. It's directly affecting us and our families. What can we do about it? Okay, well, we all hang out in these areas. Let's target them by doing this. Do you think that then that would have had a better response? But because it's the home office assuming that people, ha- ha- you know, that it's black people, I'm guessing the link that they're making is black people like chicken. Let's do it in the chicken shops. Mm-hmm. Is it is is because potentially, you know, it is affecting certain areas more. But it's 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 I, I would wonder, like, at w- what stage is it become? Does it become pro- problematic? Would it be um, considered? What's the what's the term that you've coined? Um, oh, what, what, what is it? What are we calling it? Fucking bandwagon. Yeah. OK. Would it be bandwagoning if someone else did it? So is the bad is the wagon the problem or is it the do you see what I mean? Well, the reason yeah. I think is 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 bandwagoning and corporate bandwagoning. If you want to even conflate the idea that the Home Office is a, a corporate organization, then I guess there, there's an sure. argument to be said for that. But it's because there there has never been there isn't a historical tie to them utilizing these mediums mm-hmm. for engaging with these communities in that manner. Mm-hmm. Um, Typically, you would uh, you would see government organisations um, do pretty rudimentary stuff, um, you know, things that lack anything uh, that is remotely kind of left of field mm-hmm. um, thinking. Uh, you know, hey, you know, <laughs> thumbs down to knife crime. Um, I think they did they did they did something like that a couple of years ago with kind of the um, the whole. The apex of that being um, Philip Schofield, a picture of Philip Schofield with a thumb, with his thumb down, oh, saying, yeah. "Guys, put down your knives." I don't think that's that, bin, yeah. that's not cool, man. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. obviously, all the Philip kids were like, "Philip Schofield <laughs> has just told me thumbs down to knife crime. I got to put this away." But yeah. the reason why I think um, the re- the idea that the conversation begins and ends in a chicken shop is just so lazy um but if it were if it came from somewhere else my question is this it's like i think part of the outrage is like who are you to like you cut our funding you you don't engage with us you don't listen to us you don't bring us into here but you, you don't give, you so generally show issue, you don't then, care well that's what that, i'm saying the, I, I, I think the, that is the problem it's, it's the relationship that you have with young people yeah and the preventative measures that are put in you've place you've not earned the right to, to be yeah to stop them mm-hmm. from even having to live in communities that are so grossly affected by knife violence. So how could it have been avoided? Like, I mean, I mean, I mean, I guess first, firstly, what did you end up doing as a as a protest? And and how what would you, what advice would you give to somebody the next time that they're trying to do something similar? They're trying to engage with somebody they've never spoken to before. You know, obviously, I, I'm, I'm assuming they hired a third party because. They wanted to out. They probably didn't know what they were doing, so they outsource it to somebody who claims they know what they're doing. But what does that what does that board look like? You know, that's the thing. It's difficult because, like I was mentioning, you know, they do kind of boring things. They're used to doing boring things Mm -hmm. because they're the government. So for them, this probably was 
like the highlight. Oh my gosh, guys, we're going to do something completely out of the box. <laughs> they were probably really excited about Quite it. Quite literally in the box. And and mm. in the box it landed. Um, but really interestingly, and we'll get back onto what we actually did, but what their statement was when all of this outrage kicked in was we've done our research. 90% of chicken shops are um, kind of chicken shop customers, I think, are six, are under the age of 24 was their research, mm. right? So 90% of chicken shop customers are under 24. That's the that's because we're broke, mate. That's the, de- <laughs> that's the demographic we are trying to target. Mm. So therefore, we pinpointed the right place to put our messaging. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well done. The problem is, I know... When I go into a chicken shop hungry, I'm not going to want to read anything. I'm (laughs) going to eat my food. Mm -hmm. And for me, like beyond all of the other problems, like you got onto, these chicken boxes to produce cost 56 grand. For for the government to have cut all of the youth youth services in the last X number of years by the percentage that they have, I think it was, I'm not going to quote it because I'm probably going to get it wrong. Coupled with, um, you know, some of the like racist outbursts from people in government already (laughs) over the last few years, of course, there's going to be a problem by doing stereotypical things which cost money, which could have been given to better resources. Mm -hmm. And regardless of whether you've done your due diligence and found out that loads of young people are going to see it, this is the problem with marketing at the moment, because... In general, people feel like eyes are okay, and it's not enough. Like you want real conversation, you want engagement. You don't just want something to see someone to see something. Me seeing hashtag knife free is not going to stay in my head yeah. when I'm going to eat my food. So regardless of whether you've done the right thing to find out all of the stats and figures and and whatever, Mm. the main problem is you're still not engaging people. You're still not talking to people. And that's what everyone fails to kind of understand when they try and do... And that's why I know it was cultural bandwagoning, though, as well, is because of what you said exactly. If the, 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 the preface... And all the pretext to them deciding to engage a campaign is 90% of chicken shop customers are mm. under the age of 24. Mm. That, I mean, that yeah. speaks for itself. That's, mm. That is the laziest piece of information mm-hmm. to utilise, to engage it's in an, yeah. a, you know, a campaign of such a, a national epidemic as people keep yeah. calling it. This is really common though. Like it's it, brands, like you say, bandwagoning because they're jumping on trends that don't belong to them. They're cultural trends, trends that belong to specific communities. Sometimes they're trends that just belong to like young people or women or whatever. Or and and you know, it's it's symptomatic because we can see we see it everywhere we go. You know, if you're a gay person, you're walking past Starbucks and it happens to be painted a rainbow coloured. You're not going to feel oh, you know, Starbucks is backing me. When did they ever champion you? Or, you know, if you're, you know, a a black person, you know, you've gone in to eat your chicken and you're seeing, like, advice on how to, you know, you would probably feel under attack. Like, it's it's expected of you. Like, if anything, they're doing doing damage by actively marginalising you. And I feel like this is something that happens when, like you said, they're trying to jump on existing trends. So what would your advice be? Like, is it okay as a brand? So if you see, like, a hashtag trending or a challenge is happening, is it okay to jump onto the back of that? Or do you have to sort of look a little bit deeper? So go past the service level okay they've got this percentage of young people or they've got and and 
you know, how, because this seems to be what's happening is they're getting these surface level, they're getting tweets or they're getting hashtags and they're just jumping onto these, the surface level stuff. And it turns out they're offending people because they don't get that there's a culture behind this. Well, there's a whole movement behind it. In the specific case of the government, I think they definitely have some sort of responsibility to say, like, these are the issues within our city. How do we tackle them? However, if they don't include the voices of those communities in their action plan, it's just going to be reductive, which is what it was. And mm -hmm. it's going to seem inauthentic because it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it becomes what they expect. Sorry. Yeah. If it, they shouldn't be, in terms of advice, the home office, the first piece of advice is you should, they shouldn't be running, you know, nationwide campaigns based on cultural phenomena at all. Mm -hmm. Like to say that, you know, the piece of information that uh, Undu gave us earlier is not enough information to suggest that those are the places in which knife, you know, my violence is precipitated. That's not enough information to give us. We know that the trajectory of somebody who's likely to be an aggressor or a victim of knife crime is starts in a young person's formative years. Like it's, their formative years have very little to do with chicken yeah. shops, right? So there is a whole education piece beyond um, the usage of cultural phenomena, which needs needs to be extended to organisations like the Home Office to understand that instead of putting bandages on national issues, why don't we have massive conversations that involve the community and community leaders, as you've been mentioning, to but address they, what they, needs to be done on a real level? The government don't even have the position, and this is maybe why it's not the best one to deal with if we're gonna deal with brands in and of themselves in terms of corporate interests, because the government has already hamstrung themselves on the fact that they've cut. Austerity politics is a, almost set itself the government up in diametric opposition to poor minority groups they are the enemy of those groups because they've cut all their public services and divested from them in every single way so that they've already completely taken themselves off the table as somebody who can have a conversation in any yeah. way shape or form the only way they can start to be part of that conversation is to reinvest in those communities but they won't so as a result they have no place to discuss it period there's no point of intersection yeah to see like they're doing something also it's it's, it's election period coming up people cynically you know exploit those things in order to get clout and I'm glad that they got brushed aside on that and that they didn't get any traction with it but then we need to also think about you know, people who you would historically associate as being brands as opposed to like organizations like the Home Office yeah. as well, who also get. Yeah, I think that's probably a more appropriate place to have this conversation because a brand in and of itself operates from within itself originally, but its, it's uh, MO is to make profit mm. and to engage with as many communities and consumers as possible yeah. in order to maximize and leverage their brand and their image. So to take it from that starting point, when a company wants to engage with a community that it has no previous engagement with before, it has to begin at the grassroots level of intersecting with those communities by going out there and talking to them, but not just talking to them in a very kind of like standardized insight led kind of model of just like, come and taste our wine and see what you think of it. It's like, how can we uh, go into that specific community and create a conversation that's tailored to their own form of discourse and like interests. So for companies who might argue that they do that mm -hmm. and maybe let's say they haven't got this history of talking about these cultural trends and cultural issues, yeah. 
um, and they come out with following their insight and following these conversations, they come up with a campaign yeah. which they feel like tackles a cultural trend um, and it goes wrong. So for example, Gillette. Mm. Um, and you, you, Gillette you can talk to me more about this because I, I remember mm -hmm. you were the one that showed it to me. Yeah, so Gillette did a what has now become an infamous advertising campaign where they created a kind of like visual poem which was a call to action for men to change the behavior as the new face of masculinity going into the 21st century, I guess, to be the new leaders of a kind of like new kind of masculinity and like eschewing toxic, chauvinist, patriarchal kind of positions mm. rooted in the idea that you can do that by shaving off your beard or <laughs> uh, male grooming, which is a obviously traditionally masculine kind mm. of like behavior, but it was very much rooted in a sort of like uh, prescriptive men, you need to change, you are the problem, mm. which, well, that's how it was received. I mean, there's people who stand on both sides of the argument and I don't necessarily, when I watched that advert, I didn't feel like it was an attack on me specifically, yeah. but that's because of my own specific kind of politics and perspective. But seeing the comments and the response from the Gillette adverts, there are a lot of men who are like, well, I'm not going to buy your product if you're just telling me that I'm a villain from the outset mm. and that I'm coming at this from a position of I'm already in the wrong. Mm. That's not really, even just from a very kind of like baseline, uh, kind of like capitalist vehicle or mode of selling a product, you can't begin with saying your consumer's a piece of shit. It so do you think really like, that's quite a clear example of a brand jumping on perhaps the awareness that there is now around like, um, gender roles and toxic masculinity and everything that's happened with the Me Too movement and they're trying to go, yeah, we're addressing this too. And then it just falls yeah, toned down. Yeah, it was because so top line. It was just like, here's the issue. Let's go full steam ahead with a mm -hmm. very like high impact, visually engaging kind of visual poem yeah. advert, but like missed all the points of nuance of what is a evo still evolving trend of like mm. shit reshifting masculine approaches. Mm. You can't just be like, men need to change. You're a piece of shit, you know, sort yourself out. <laughs> you need to be like, a lot of you guys have been brought up by men who have very old and regressive positions, but you're caught in flux. How can you reconceive yourself without kind of like isolating and alienating men as just bad people? And we actually today looked at an advert from Axe um, maybe you want to explain some of the differences yeah that one. yeah so I think well for one can I say something on Gillette mm. my personal take on Gillette is while that was the reaction it also I think as a brand they were also kind of admitting to being a part of like the problem in a way and when they talk about like how men have been or should be they should they're saying like we've we've been sculpting this culture too mm -hmm. and now we're trying to reposition that culture and was that was that very was that kind of vociferously yeah. you know, articulated by them because i think it I, even though i did I, similarly i didn't feel attacked at all by the advert I, I i actually thought it was quite a nice piece of work i i just wonder if you know you've got to take you know look at it from the position of being a, a, a somebody who has engaged yeah. with Gillette for a number of years and has been like a loyal customer or fan mm. to have by and large you know Gillette have been on the, the the very antithesis to that kind of discussion because of their you know projections of you know what it is to be a man in 
modern society and how now that's evolved, it seems like they've just kind of jumped to a completely opposite. Yeah. I think it potentially um, came take. across as inauthentic mm. um, for that reason. And just the way the whole style of the ad just compared to the Axe campaign, in my mind, the Axe campaign is much, it feels much more grassroots. And I think that's also because they, they pose the questions that they're asking. They don't say like, this is how like we're screwing up. Like they, they're asking, and it's put in the positive. It's like, is it okay for men to do this? Is it okay for men to wear pink or like all these different things. And it's, it just it feels younger. It feels it feels more authentic to to the people they're trying to address and the audience that they're trying to open up to. It's interesting because I completely forgot that Gillette had it started off by saying with the old advert and it was like Gillette, the mm. best a man can get. With the woman and holding then they, yeah, his yeah, and then and then and they stuff, jumped yeah. through the thing. Yeah. <laughs> the little <laughs> kids were like, yeah, I completely through, yeah. Maybe that's but the problem <laughs> because they're going from A to B so quickly and it's like we yeah, never saw exactly. we never saw that yeah, transition. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. And in fact, it's like when I think Gillette, like I think sexist advert. So for all of a sudden for you to come out and tell me, you know, toxic masculine well, yeah, we've been saying that for ages. Like, well, well, welcome to the welcome to the bandwagon. Yeah, it's like a physical it, jump it onto the bandwagon, like jumping leaping on. into and the new world culture. And you can see that, it's the same you know? thing, it's the same formula across the campaigns. It's 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 people in charge going, okay, this is cool, here's our product, and drawing a line straight from here to there. Or maybe, okay, or oh, this song is popular, and this influencer is popular, and um, we're going to put this in, and we're going to drop it at 12, because millennials are awake late. And it's just like, you're making all these assumptions, and who did you ask, and who did you actually talk to? It's like, okay, well, you knew there were like people of a certain age in the chicken shop. You knew there were probably going to be a certain okay well yeah but that and then, then that's what you based your company you skipped a whole bunch of steps and that's kind of i think what we're saying you're not engaged in those communities those communities don't even fucking know about you they don't they don't if you ask them what did you ever do if, if the answer to what did you do for us is nothing then why are you trying to speak to me like why are you trying to it's like when you know when when people try and market things towards women like tom ford did this advert um drama proof mascara for women stuff like that i will unfollow you straight away you are cancelled because tom ford i don't want to hear from you telling me i you know special mascara for me to go to work so that when i get all emotional i'm paying on stereotypes like you know and that was probably um and i think this is ultimately the root of the problem because there's nobody who knows better in the room on that point though just playing a bit of devil's advocate as yeah. i like here to. he is um <laughs> <laughs> playing devil's advocate slash trolling no 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 it's no. not even trolling no. um <laughs> from a from a brand side right we, a lot of the time we talk brands, 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 right? Having worked on brand side, I know it's people in the brand. So most of the time, your marketing spend, all of this kind of stuff is just copied and pasted for next year, right? It's replicated. The things that you did in certain months is replicated every single month in the following year. And going back to Hyle's point where you know the government for example they play it safe because they're a bit worried they don't know how it's going to land same thing with the brand and for me let's say I'm a marketing director I do not want to be the one that's known as making an advert which is a bit left of field 
So I'm going to make the safe ad because that's mm -hmm. probably what is going to be. The Unless their right. positioning is they they just want the publicity regardless. Yeah, so and that's definitely seen. So that's another point which which I agree with. I think a lot of brands do do things on on purpose just just for visibility. Just for yeah. visibility. The Daily Any Mail publicity. the Daily Mail do it all the time because everyone gets angry and ultimately shares their links and then people go onto their website and then they get more ad money. Yeah. Simple. But on that point though how do you play that fine line between, like you said, it's the roadmap where um, I might not be in the job for five years to be able to say, all right, guys, like, let's do this gradually. Let's do this slowly. Next year, we'll play a little bit left. The next year, we'll play a bit more left because I'm just thinking about myself, yeah. right? I'm thinking about my bonus. I'm thinking about my salary. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about all of those things. So... What do brands need to start doing then to play this field a lot better? Because we need to just remember that brands are just a makeup of, of people. Well, do you think that there's a problem when it comes to, you know, even just the model? That, I mean, the agency model, as it is at the moment, is that somebody might get a client and then they might not have social media people. They might not have the right people for this specific client. So they're outsourcing stuff. Mm. Um and so like with what happened with the home office campaign, like they might be, they might think, okay, we want to do this and they hand it off to a different agency and then it's in, in their hands. They don't even know who is working on it. They might not even know who the team is, if the team is representative. I feel like, like what the brands first of all need to know is, is the community being engaged with at a decision-making stage? Because you, th that's the whole problem is that they're skipping the bit where it's like, okay, here's, here's what we're pitching. Here's who we're pitching to. And then they're trying, shooting their, you know, what's it called? Shooting their shot, hoping it's going to stick, hoping it's going to stick when actually you could have saved yourself a lot of money. We were talking, they spend a lot of money outsourcing this stuff um, just by having the right people on the board. Because I mean, if we'd, been sat there I mean, come on it would never like it just wouldn't have happened would it like this this the chicken box thing or like you know if I were also, on the Tom Ford board and you could yeah, yeah. so I don't know if that was on camera but <laughs> middle finger alert it's also incredibly challenging though because you have these like two sides where either it's kind of a bandwagon effect where the the issues have been talked about so much that it feels like you're just kind of recycling this for your own gain or like the issues are not talked about at all. Mm -hmm. And they're so kind of under the surface that like it's really hard for people, especially in minority groups, to talk about those challenging issues because they haven't been given a platform. Mm -hmm. So like how are you going to be able – I think the mode of collection for that kind of research needs to be improved mm -hmm. because – I, I yeah. think to – I mean you did – Hmm? Sorry, no, go on. I, I would, yeah, I don't. Well, want to if cut it's you a, off. no, but if it's a small point, tap directly. Well, no, it was just, it was just a thought. It was just like a lingering thought about like what, what is the. I think for me, the most important point is how do the brands feel about the campaign subsequent to having released it, mm -hmm. and that is predicated on their belief going into the campaign. We know that we're going to be doing something that is a seismic shift or a, or a departure from sure. where we have been historically in the place of, uh, you know, the culture and people's minds and hearts. Sure. And if there is an understanding that there is going to be um, pushback mm. and potentially even like a commercial 
um, a, a, a commercial failure or negative, yeah, to their commercial detriment mm. and an acceptance of that going in, yeah. then they're attempting to basically reshift their core values. And that's that's something that I would never. Yeah, the great companies always like, take risks, ultimately, and those who play it safe don't create imaginative. So, so Pepsi, again, a massive example of cultural bandwagoning because as soon as it went to shits, they pulled it. Yeah. But that was but that was doomed to fail from the start because you cannot Pepsi is the definitive nineties and early two thousands image alongside Coca-Cola, ironically both being soft drinks, the face of corporatism and capitalism. Like you can't get stronger images. Yeah. And for them to there's going outside of your sphere of influence and comfort and then literally being the very thing that's in direct opposition to you. Um, there's such a discordance between those two elements that there's no that there, there is a lack of uh, self-awareness there which is so profoundly kind of like obvious and can be exposed that it never made sense to do that and you can show yourself to be going against the grain without trying to embody the very thing that rails against you like Pepsi is the kind of thing that if there was a Pepsi shop on a big revolutionary march it would get smashed down like that's not where it makes sense but I think in terms of the representation, that's where it comes into play. And maybe it's not so obvious in that case because you're like, don't have everyone in Pepsi who's super rich and like corporate, maybe have people who, you wouldn't have like social activists working for Pepsi. Yeah. But like in terms of other campaigns that don't land right, taking a departure from your usual sphere of influence, I think has to be predicated on immediately filling the ranks of your company yeah. with diverse perspectives. Or that's outsourcing to those perspectives. Yeah, sure. Yeah. That's right. just two different functions of diverse representation. Mm -hmm. But I think yeah. the reason that it's important to have it within the core part of your entity is that if there's somebody who's only working there for five years and just wants to collect the check, once they've left, there's still that legacy of diverse positioning. Mm. So that even if he leaves and he wants to make, you know, just collect his money and like do what he wants to do. Or she. Or she, sorry. There we go. Yeah, yeah you know, it affects all of us. But that shows the point. That's a really good example. Yeah, you know, we've been a company that's been largely male for like chance. <laughs> but you've you admit it. But you admit it, no, and you've addressed you're addressing it. I've got a question. I've got a question for you guys. It's an important point that we have largely, on the whole, been male, but diversifying our company and having people from different perspectives yeah. and walks of life Absolutely. really helps. Even today life. we were having feminist debates that you perhaps might not have been having. Had we not, uh, all three of us been uh, <laughs> around the table. But you know what else though as well? Sorry, go on. Well, just that um, as soon as you have that bedrock of diverse positions, mm. when you do suddenly like throw, you know, shoot your shot or like, you know, try something really different, you can always back it up with consulting internally. Yeah. And that it's an, always an authentic decision because it's being, you know, judged, uh, analyzed and fed back from people who will disagree with you. And that's really important. I think. Back on what you were saying, I think there's like a really key point of just keeping that energy. Cause like when, for me, I don't understand why people will take a stance and then delete it. It looks so much worse. Like, yeah, you, of, if you Terrible. if you accept that there's been an issue, yeah. accept it, you know, and and understand why you've made that 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 choice. Understand why people don't like that choice, and explain what you've learned and how and, you're going to apply it. Just keep that energy. Don't yeah. don't delete it and keep moving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. back to what you were saying, though, it it does largely talk to that because 
it's that male pale stale element mm. of all marketing boards in in brand out of brand in agencies mm. and culture is something that you just won't understand unless you live it and mm. unless and if you don't live it you can speak to people directly and again when i say speak to people it's not focus groups mm. this is the thing like you will invite a group of people into your brand to have a focus group mm. they're going to get paid of course they're going to say what they think you want to hear like it, yeah, it's, exactly. it's 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 already biased yeah it's, it's already a biased thing whereas if you have a history of speaking to your audiences then they won't be biased because mm. they can they feel that honesty they feel that connection with yeah. you and, and they know you genuinely care and you're not just paying lip service and you're just exactly. it's not, it's not yeah, just taking it which is why you can always call out bullshit diversity programs in a company when it's like we need to diversify our board let's get a woman in let's get an Asian guy in or whatever it always feels like you're doing it just to pay lip service to people mm. rather than like I actually want my company to be better, yeah. but because people are so heavily relying on old modes of thinking, they're not actually realizing that diversifying your company is really productive to the growth of your company mm. beyond just being like ethically more representative. Can that be a solution then? Because, so here's my question to you guys, right? So we've got big corporations, they are bandwagoning, that's what's happening, they're jumping on, they're jumping on trends. Can they do that? Is there a way that they can do that? What, what, what boxes should they, should they be ticking if they want to do it like my opinion personally i think if you're not having a conversation with the community you're not giving to the community you shouldn't be doing anything so if you want to say for example you're mcdonald's you want to make an lgbtq statement start some funds start interacting with the community open a hostel that's a safe space for all lgb start make, taking those steps and then potentially we'll be interested in here but this is what Why i'm saying are there steps that comfortable though i just feel like this i'm not saying this is necessarily that, the case but i just yeah. wonder like is there a is there a way or like or perhaps like we were talking about earlier outsource so maybe bringing the talent in um or outsourcing so saying okay this isn't our this isn't our playground, but here, like this is what we're trying to achieve and, and passing it to somebody who actually is doing. Do you see? So this is my, my question. My issue is that I, I between an organization who is set up chiefly for commercial enterprise right. and connecting with issues that actually affect people. Can it be done? Can they do that? If they've so not like, had a say so, in it, so for what example, can they when do? When you're speaking about McDonald's and LGBTQ communities, yeah. I think if it's something that is genuinely on the, on the hearts of the decision makers at McDonald's or an organization like McDonald's or whoever it is, because it's very hard to... Um, differentiate between McDonald's as a historical, historically, um, well, as a, as a food provider for uh, fast food, which is, you know, never really been healthy for you, um, and to make a distinction between that side of their brand and cheap historical cheap labour. I know that's changed recently, and all these kind of things. Well being, there are so many historical concerns with relation to not just McDonald's but loads of different yeah. organizations is if it's really of serious concern to you to engage with But LGBTQ what if it's not because this is they're doing it anyway. Th then I think they should set up separate arms that are almost, you know, um non-profit organizations that are devoted to But they do. Ronald McDonald charity is like a very big mega charity which donates lo I mean I remember going to hospital once when I was younger and like doing some tests and I got on weighing scales and they were provided and sponsored by McDonald's which I mean like everywhere you look at that that's just and very, so they like, need to make that that 
that brand association needs to be made very separate. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think, like, if there if if there are people within the company with the commercial clout and the finances to put some put money towards an issue that yeah. they genuinely care about yeah. and that they think these organizations or people need um, representation, support, mm-hmm. guidance for whatever reason, then they need to dis- make a distinction between their commercial arm and a kind of more charitable but then that's still covert. that's still a kind of to me that f- smacks of being like a covert but then you're basically saying nobody has any redemption whatsoever I, what I'm saying that I think that, but I think there are with positive. McDonald's because they generate huge amounts of profits but these what, profits need to be reinvested into communities but where I think that that McDonald's that have been like pushed outside of their comfort zones they were a big American corporate fast food chain for ages and then they got loads of flack because they were making loads of kids all around the world really fat. Mm -hmm. So they started rebranding and doing the organic thing, healthy food. And they have actually, through social pressure, created healthy alternatives, which maybe aren't as popular and don't sell as much and don't make as much money, but they've committed to changing that branch of their identity in a sphere that's not in their comfort zone usually, but is not too far. And it doesn't smack of being disingenuous, but like trying to help so what should they do then because like because because on the other flip on the flip side you've got people who say these corporate businesses make so much money why aren't they helping x y and z but then when they do help x y and z there's a bit of a pushback because it's like yeah it's like so so where does where does it all lie corporate tax and (laughs) yeah i I I think think that's not the question that's not the the question it's not even the question because what we're really asking is what we're really asking is can brands authentically jump on existing bandwagons, cultural movements and do it in a way that is okay and is gonna and that we're gonna buy into because the way I look at it, it's like it's like somebody coming up to you. So if you would you watch a TED talk, right? And someone's gonna give you a whole chat about um, I don't know, how to run a marketing company, but all they do is follow Gary V. <laughs> No, but as in, do you know what I'm saying? It's like, it, like, it, it, like you're not gonna or like uh, anybody will Google it, will find out. They'll look at your LinkedIn. They'll go, he's got zero credentials. And why we listen? And, and I feel like a lot of the time, that's how we're approaching brands. That okay, you're coming to me with this, with this messaging. Why on earth should I believe you, right? So can can that happen? Can you have a can a because we, we we already know they're doing it. McDonald's, Nivea, Dove, Nike, they're all doing it. How can they do it better in a way that they're not constantly getting cancelled? How can they jump on the? Can they jump on the bandwagon? Well, I, I, they're doing I, I think, it already. Think, can no, they do it better? I, I, that's, that, that's my point was before: is that there needs to be, if if there is going to be a seismic shift in the internal culture of an organization or a company, which extends to its its face and its external mm-hmm. um, communications with the world, then that needs that needs to be communicated. Yeah. very seriously and vehemently to the world that this is the yeah. these are the positions that we're taking these are our core values this is yeah. who we believe we are now and this is who we believe we're going to be moving forward because typically what happens as you said is it, it it's cultural trends it's mm-hmm. right now lgbtq plus communities are hot and cool so we're going to celebrate them at opportune moments we're yeah, going to celebrate yeah. um you know gay pride we're going to celebrate black yeah. history month we're going to celebrate X, Y, and Z, you know, a, a social calendar events, but mm-hmm. there isn't that, as Andrew mentioned, that energy isn't kept up, yeah, you know, for, 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 yeah, for yeah. The throughout year. the whole year yeah. because their aim isn't to be representative; it's to oh, it's, it's to ensure cash that in, it's yeah. to cash in, that, you know, it's it's difficult, you know, like because I, I I largely agree with you, and I think that um, 
there's an element that some businesses should just stay in their lane and you were set up to make money, carry on doing that. Mm. However, every every business has corporate social responsibility mm -hmm. and they put money in these CSR programs to do certain things, right? Most big businesses do do that. The problem, <laughs> the problem is that a lot of the time, cynical and uncynical is to offset profits, to offset tax, mm -hmm. X, Y, and Z, and still do good in the community. But then the other problem is, is that they're not well thought through. Like yeah. a lot of a lot of CSR campaigns or CSR days that people people get given this day off work to go and do something in the community. Mm. You might just go to a park and clean it. Mm. Whereas like, if you are gonna really do something, mm. like have an agenda behind it and communicate yeah. and communicate that. <laughs> and I think the bottom line is is the communication yeah, because yeah. I, I I do think though that like if one of us ever became CEO of McDonald's. You would under quiet. you would uh, well, exactly <laughs> you would that. understand the decisions that they they then make because you know the people behind it sure right so it wouldn't be too far from reality because I might be I might have um, like a propensity to want to fight a certain social issue mm -hmm. and it's under my leadership that we're gonna do that as McDonald's yeah right because you, you still, know me you represent a franchise yeah no no I do but, I'm, far what, but what you. I'm saying is I'm saying you personally would have a bit of a different argument because you know me. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So you know why it makes sense. But, but I still but, would, I would, and maybe this is a personal perspective, mm -hmm. but I still feel like that there's too much discordance there. I think there's certain companies that are too far gone and have been around for too long doing a certain type of thing. I think this conversation is useful for not necessarily embryonic stage of companies, but companies that have been around for a little while mm -hmm. have sort of, you know, like us, we've, we came in on a niche, but we pushed towards something we feel confident we're we're interested in. Mm. We're established in a certain community, but we have had discussions about how could we kind of like expand our content and our reach to look to other ones. Mm. We're building a company that is diverse and inclusive and has the concerns and interests of different groups of people. So that if we want to do that, we, we haven't got too far back where we're like, we're only one thing yeah. and we yeah. don't have any interest in anything else. Yeah, you've got your finger already in that part. Yeah, I think if, you, if, you, <laughs> look, if you've made hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars or mm. pounds mm. doing the same thing very questionably for a very long time, mm. maybe it's kind of like a council thing, but, but I we, think but, that but there's, I think, a, there's a ceiling. But then I think. I think that also speaks to what you were saying last week. In last mm. week's <laughs> last time. <laughs> last yeah, last time, time. <laughs> I think there's there's... What you're saying lends itself to what we were saying last time in uh, the previous episode about this kind of cancel culture. Like, should we be penalizing companies who are full of different people, different individuals for their historical? Um, and we, you know, like we said, they're doing pitfalls. it anyway, yeah. and, and they will keep doing it. Yeah. yeah. So you I'm know, less inclined to penalize somebody look, if they have an we're, authentic approach. We're, we're fortunate there. enough, for sure. You know, mm. in many ways, to have existed. You know, we were all born in the '90s. Um, I think. Yes. <laughs> yes. You were born um, in the 80s, man. Where are you going? So we were yeah. all born in the 90s. You were. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but fortunate to, enough to be born in, in a time and grown up in a time whereby there is f f a far greater tolerance towards mm. different communities um, and ways of living than there ever has been, right? So if, if Word on a Curb had existed throughout the ages, we wouldn't be talking about a company that is historically diverse and things about tolerance you know mm -hmm. you for companies that exist today that have existed for 150 years and your company. It, you know the same can't be said for them 
And so should we not be allowing them the leeway to have conversations in a progressive manner so long as they're not solely doing it on the back of or leeching yeah. onto the culture? Well, maybe that's the point with Julia. Just really quickly, though, the point that Julia was making about going from A to B as quickly as you can so you can get to the crest of the wave and make the most from it is like maybe making some shift, the one that's, that's understandable and considerate, but isn't like... I want to jump on this bandwagon mm. so that I can be at the very front. Right. It's like, just so let's know your lane. They should be qualifying. They should be qualifying why they're even on that bandwagon first. So yeah. for, for example, right, TFL, like I remember going past stations and they were like pink and blue and yellow and green and all different colors. And I didn't even know, but one of them's the transgender flag and one of them, and they were, they were painted. And I just thought, when has TFL ever cared? Like ever cared, right? And I thought, and to me, like, you've jumped from A to B because what you've done is you've gone, okay, um, LGBTQ, da, 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 gender, da, this is cool and topical. Paint it this colour. Whereas actually, where I would have bought into it is if you'd written on each and every sign, you can paint it whatever colour you want for visibility. If you, Then I want to know every single thing you've done to benefit the visibility of LGBT. And I want you to write it down. I want us to see a list on every single station that you have painted that color on what TFL is doing for the LGBTQ community. And I think that that's what we're saying is like millennials, young people, like when we don't, we, we see the A to B. Why do you keep doing that? Like you, you keep jumping, um, here's an issue and, and we're gonna put it on the front of our pay on, on our- and I'm and also fascinated by when those campaigns begin and end because we don't, I don't begin and, I don't start and stop being a black person. I haven't the experiences that I will have as a black male. Uh, neither do LGBTQ plus people right. start and stop becoming, you know, LGBTQ yeah. plus for a particular yeah, isn't time. Isn't it that weird month. moment where they suddenly paint over the yeah, LGBTQ like, well, yeah, exactly. rainbow signs? Like it's no longer cool. If something is part of yeah. your core values, you're speaking yeah. about it all the time. Mm. And this is yes. kind of lends itself to the conversation that people have been having for a few years about Black History Month. Which, why is there only one month yeah. for Black History Month? Why is it not integrated into the, into yeah. the curriculum? And imagine being a gay person in the underground. Like I've seen it's not, it's not endless, it's gone now. endless posts from people saying that they're getting harassed on the underground because they were holding hands or something. Like, it might like, you know, or you're a black person, you've been given a whole, you've been given a whole month to talk about your history. Then you've got to sit through 11 months of white history. They should, they should, <laughs> the TFL should, intrinsically be the most in terms of its core values it should have started out yeah, really absolutely we should already know what you're doing organization ever because yeah. it's got it's the, the most the diverse the consumer base yeah exactly. you know what the, like that i mean it's i agree on it obviously um pret they had the they changed their sign yeah. to the the rainbow flag mm. and to be fair on the one on oxford street it might not be there anymore but it existed long after pride month but i was looking oh, at yeah. that and I was like, okay, cool. When is this gonna come down? Because yeah, inevitably yeah. it's gonna come mm -hmm. down. Unless you unless you completely change Just your logo. It, yeah. Yeah, Fair enough, cool, anyone. why not? But when it does come down, is there gonna be a one, an all black press sign on in October? Mm -hmm. And when's that gonna last? Yeah, yeah. And you'll probably tell me there won't be because you know, brand values, like it's too dark. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not standout-ish or whatever it yeah. is. But there is a real valid point into what you guys are saying in that like, I would feel more offended that this rainbow flag is up for a month. Yeah. And then as soon as, when is Pride Month again? June, June, right? As soon as it hits July, yeah. it's in gone. The bin. <laughs> it's in, in the, the bin, yeah. like it's in the bin. Yeah. However, it's like, where do you, <laughs> if like, where where does the sincerity come from? But that's because, the point, like, isn't that's it? what I well, think. Yeah. yeah, I think that's that's like where this issue stands in contrast to like, 
like in San Francisco, like the Castro district is historically home to a lot of gay people mm. and the streets are the, the crosswalks like are instead of like black and white, it's like rainbow okay. yeah, and yeah, there's yeah. flags all year all round level. because like that, that is the history mm-hmm. of that area. Yeah. And like that makes sense. the whole area, like is, it's not, I mean, not just painted and stuff that way. It's mm. entirely catered to that mm. community. Mm. And that's it's not just a trend. It's, it's not a trend. It's it's, it's actually yeah. it's yeah. actually the neighborhood. And yeah. Yeah. that's cool. I I mean I don't think that just because like a large corporation like Pret, you know, didn't originate in a community like that doesn't mean they shouldn't be like necessarily trying to create visibility for those people. But that's why that's authentic in the Castro district mm-hmm. and not on a Absolutely, yeah, so but that's got to be part for me. That's got to be part of their core values. Then it's, it's 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 always re, re readdressing mm-hmm. what it is you stand for and the people that you represent. Being always legal. and then Being making legal. making that public information communicating that and then because because here's the big thing that you know speak you know um, kind of the retort to what you were saying mm-hmm. and do which is kind of like where does it this kind of gray area with regard to like. How do people get it right? It's kind of difficult. Here's the thing. Nobody cares if you don't say things or speak for particular communities. Nobody's going to be like, where where were you? Where were you around? Like, no. Well, no, no, no. But 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 to continue your point, that shouldn't be your concern. Your concern shouldn't be, how do I shoehorn this public discourse into what we're about? It should be about standing for what you are. If you are inherently representative, you don't necessarily need to pander to these um, events in the social calendar anyway, because that's just who you, you are. You already know that it becomes an extension yeah. of it. Doesn't it. Need to be totally exactly. Listed. So you know, again, for me, it's about readdressing what it is you believe in, and if it's not, if these you know these cultural trends or shifts aren't totally in line with your organizational values, then can you find a way with the massive amounts of profits that a lot of these organizations are making mm. to maybe collaborate with an organization who, who you know, speak for those communities or create a separate entity altogether that can fund issues related to the communities that you're attempting to speak for or with? Um, yeah, so it, it would be far more of an interesting statement or like authentic and meaningful if you said we're going to allow this charity or this organization to take yeah, over exactly. our company for Outsource a month. it to somebody who's actually doing something Especially about it. But they won't do that because there's so a risk of losing money from it. There's, from a, yeah. there's a, They might lose profit if they but don't give it to somebody point. else. And so or maybe to just include an organization on a marketing campaign. Mm. Yeah. So look yeah, at yeah, like, yeah, that would be great. Like whatever you think of Nike, there's, you know, there are so many pitfalls to Nike historically yeah. or Nike right Nike. which is how it to be fair how it should be pronounced <laughs> we're getting it wrong in the UK but with the Colin Kaepernick campaign with the not it wasn't dream crazy but it's something I've forgotten exactly what it was called Jack you might have to pull it up so I didn't yeah, get it wrong yeah, but it's it's, it's it's basically the idea was a, it was about um, crazy people changing the world right and the Serena Williams one no, not the Serena Williams one. That this one's was dream crazy. both of them are both of them are dream crazy. It's a, I think dream crazy is like a wider campaign, and that yeah, was just, one just of believe the in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. everything yeah. That was the strap line. Yeah. yeah, and with that, I think I would like to think that there was a general acceptance, you know, prior to the release of that campaign, that this is going to be 
probably like Nike's most divisive campaign for years. But they took a stand because they believed, just as Kaepernick was articulating in that video, that irrespective of the fact that people are probably going to end up burning our trainers as they did, that they are going to stand by that message. And look, and they had good enough market share to keep enough people buying Nike. Of course, but you you could say that for a lot of companies. Isn't that the opposite of bandwagoning? So look, I want to be very careful as to not, as to not, you know, almost duvet this, um, articulate like a duvet of praise for Nike, Nike, because there are loads of historical injuries. But it's not a trend, though, is it? Communities, but I would say that that for me is a representation of them not jumping, not. Bandwagoning on a trend because it's exactly. a stance that they taking are taking as exactly. It's taking a, nutshell, a stance on a trend. Well, nutshell, not people yeah. aren't brave. They're not brave enough to do it. In a nutshell, it's take a stance, keep that energy for the whole year. But basically. it was easier for them to do that because it kind of already falls in line with this <laughs> idea about being. You know, Nike's, Nike is about athleticism mm-hmm. and about you know elite athletes. And to be an elite athlete, you have to be. Um, you can't be ordinary. You have to be extraordinary. Yeah. And to be extraordinary, you need to almost be in this this modicum of crazy. So it, it really does fall in line with the message that has already been consistent for many years. I think there's a quite, quite a sort of like there's a rather convenient story which is followed up with which I didn't actually know about before. But uh, Nike Nike released a, a set of trainers with the Betsy Ross flag which is a flag which is to do with the early formation of America and has connections to slavery. So mm-hmm. this happened shortly after Kaepernick became one of their brand ambassadors. Now that speaks to me of a company that's willing to embrace and bandwagon an issue when it cements their brand uh, affinity with a certain community, i.e. black people, but are also willing to, with no self-awareness, come out with a trainer which is you know flies in the face of that same community they're trying to uphold was that was that was that a, a was that a hiccup was that a hiccup or was that like a decision to no that's probably a hic- it's probably a mis- no it's probably a mistake and Kaepernick's called it out but it, to me it suggests a company that's not got full ownership over this I think it goes back to no do you know what it goes it goes back to what you're saying that's the thing it goes back to what you're saying it's the culture in in every company right you always you're always going to have sectors of people who work in different areas yeah. right the product team are far away from the marketing team why it was yeah. wider wider and wider it's uh, wnk wnk yeah, so it was wider and kennedy who did that and they did the agent, and they do all of that they do all of mm-hmm. nike's videos basically it's so it's probably very very removed from the organization from the product team who are designing the trainers but back to what you was but that, that's it but back to what you were saying though it's about culture right because if if the culture is ingrained in everyone including the agencies that you work with so that they know your brand identity you won't make those mistakes that's what it comes down to that's the bottom there the has to be we have to like acknowledge also the fact that what we were saying we were talking about this the other day um jump there's there, there needs to be something said about not always jumping on trends anyway and i think nike did one thing well in this com- in this campaign which was they weren't specifically gonna do a race campaign or a gender campaign which is what we're seeing happen through a lot of brands their idea was we're gonna approach topical stuff through the lens of taking a stance and being the person to to take a stand right so that 
that that could work. But what we're seeing happening a lot, and I think this is where brands are sort of failing, is they're jumping on a specific trend like avocados or something like that to talk to young people or chicken to talk to. And that's the problem. It's like, no, okay, you can potentially engage people in conversation. We can talk about race. We can talk about gender. We can talk about religion and politics. And this is something that we're doing um, with young people through our content. So we know it can be done. But how do we do it? By directly addressing the people that it affects and getting them on board. Like, what, what what do you think about all these like reactive campaigns, viral campaigns? People, I mean, isn't there a better way, a better way to spend your resources, to allocate your resources, than just constantly jumping on something because it's trending? Like avocados, I can't remember. It was, um, uh, I think, a piece in City AM or something like that, and they were saying how many avocado breakfasts a millennial would have to skip to be able to afford a mortgage. And I just think, <laughs> you, if you want to talk to me about housing, like God, well, you know, when when, when um, word on a curb were like kind of in our nascent days coming up whenever we'd particularly undo and I would, would wrestle with this idea that you know of how to disseminate a lot of our content or create some of our content um, is should we be joining the conversation and everyone will always say it's always better to join the conversation be part of the conversation be part of the conversation and I think this is is this is is, is now become kind of an embryo sorry uh, a bit of a ubiquitous trope mm. that's being peddled by the media and by organizations at large to join the conversation. Sometimes you're not the, the one who's supposed to be talking. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So so there's two things. It's either you're not supposed to, you're sometimes you're not the ones that are supposed to be talking. So don't join the conversation. But there isn't enough enough emphasis on innovation. Enabling Start the conversation. Well. Yeah. Be the owners Hosting of the conversation. It. Host it. Like yeah. where is the innovation that is that is incumbent in a lot of these organizations and companies. They skip from A to B with a language that is made of trends. So it's like young people, avocados. It's like you could give you give any demographic and they would be like, oh, we should do it on Snapchat because we've heard our kids say that they're on Snapchat and we're going to do it with, I don't know, a Lizzo song because we've heard that. It's like stop doing things because you've heard that we're into this or we're into that. And come and talk to the people that are actually on the front line. Maybe that's why the Axe campaign, in at least my mind, is more successful than some of the other ones we've discussed because they're not they're not trying to be an authority on how a man should be or how anything should be. They're simply yeah. just asking the question, is it okay for men to do these mm -hmm. things? Mm -hmm. Similar to Nike, I think. That's like a very different positioning. Yeah, they're giving um, the power to the consumer to be the an actor of change they want. rather yeah. than saying this is how you should be. And they're saying that you can use acts and you can be this kind of person and this kind of person and mm. this kind of person mm. versus yeah. the one kind of person that you've she always been told. Be, yeah. Yeah. And that's liberty. Li that's literally precipitating a conversation, isn't it? That's literally that's, yeah. starting and enabling a conversation to be had mm. rather than here's a conversation that's happening. Let's be part of yeah. it. And Absolutely. just, yeah, my final thoughts are similar to what you guys were saying is another um, advert, which was Heineken's advert, where they similarly didn't take a stance. They just got two people from polar opposite ends of the spectrum to have a conversation. And that conversation obviously allows it to be started. But I think that the, the bottom line really is have your culture, understand your culture, let everyone else understand that culture and then you won't keep on jumping on needing to jump on bandwagons. You'll know what your content you'll know what your content is, you know what your strategy is. Yeah. So you won't need to be like, oh shit guys, let's come up with a TikTok strategy because everyone's on TikTok. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, because the likelihood is you're not they're not gonna watch your bloody TikTok videos anyway. Because you're not part of that community. Yeah.
Mm. Yeah. Mm. And do you know what? Yeah, I think this is this is exactly why, um, you know, influencer culture, whether that's on a you know power influencer or nano or micro influencer, whatever you want to call it, is growing, and why influencers and people, normal people, are becoming almost the brands themselves is because they they are starting the conversations, mm-hmm. and now brands are pitching to them. To like I saw poet. Um, from Gasworks, um, he like I think he was talking t- on Instagram Live or something like that, but it got posted up on like Shade Bar, and he oh. was like, "I'm sick of all of these brands pitching their dead artists to Gasworks, mm-hmm. saying let's get your get you know let's get our artist on, please." And he he they're in such a position of power now where it's like they are the guys that call the shots, yeah. and that that should be how all young people feel now. There is this real like. Mm-hmm. In a way, they're still a clamoring for young people to be like onboarded by mm-hmm. these traditional brands, and it's like, yeah. no, no, own your you shit, man. Be like, the brand you can that be other yeah. things, exactly yeah. the start of the yeah. conversation and have them pitching to you. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So, if you don't want to jump on the bandwagon, guys, yeah. I'm gonna end every episode <laughs> like that. Jump on our bandwagon, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. So, don't curb your enthusiasm. Thank you very much mm-hmm. for joining in. Yeah.